Let's, uh, let's quick say a prayer, and then we can all settle into our places. Let us pray. The second Sunday after Pentecost. God of wisdom and love, source of all good, send your spirit to teach us your truth and guide our actions in your way to peace. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So, let's see. First thing, the offering baskets. I got an email from Pastor Bruzek this week asking for some books to be sent to Spain. And so the money today will help fund those books which are being sent to Spain. That's all I've heard from Pastor Bruzek. I think he's having a really good time. I don't think any of us have heard <laughs> much from him. So that's a good sign. It means he's, uh, he's do- I know they're traveling a lot, doing, doing lots, of, lots of work, and he'll be anxious to tell you all about this trip when he gets back. So we can look forward to that. Um, in the meantime, we're going to start a new Bible study for the summer on Colossians. And that means we need to get some Bibles passed out here. You got it? Okay. All right. Is there uh, anything else, any questions, anything by way of introduction that we need to talk about here? Yeah, so the, the announcements that we had in church today are of special interest. The 4th of July parade, sign up to help out with that. If you can house the new vicar for a little while, that'd be great. And that's it. Okay, so keep the... <laughs> Some nice piano music this morning. Yeah, very good. Very good. All right. So this, we're going to take our time going through Colossians. Um, it's kind of nice to be starting a Bible study with you rather than uh, jumping into the middle of Pastor Bruzek's Bible study. I really appreciate the opportunity to set the tone rather than filling his shoes. So... We'll, we'll see how this goes this morning, and then um, we'll uh, sort of go with that um, for the next couple of weeks. Everybody, everybody have a sheet, a handout? Okay. So, a couple of things to think about with the book of Colossians. Um, there's something really advantageous about studying a book like Colossians, and that is it's really pretty short. Four chapters... 95 verses or something like that. So you can honestly sit down and read it in 15 minutes. Um, but there's great value in uh, taking a close reading of it because it's, it's pretty sophisticated. And Paul, writing in the style of, uh, writing in a pretty sophisticated rhetorical style, needs a little bit of time to digest. So if you're interested in a sort of a strategy at home as we go through Colossians, I'd suggest that you, um, you take an opportunity once a week to sit down and just read through the whole book. You can do it in 15 minutes. Um, and that, that'll sort of put things, put what we talk about each Sunday in perspective. And that's one thing we have to try and do. Um, we often take passages out of books like Colossians and we, we use them very usefully um, to, to demonstrate points about uh, theology and, and what we believe. But it's also important to to understand the context. So if you do that, it'll help. Um, it'll help. I won't, we won't be grading or anything, so don't worry about that. Colossians um, is one of Paul's, one, called one of Paul's imprisonment letters, one of his letters that he wrote from prison. The others are Philemon, Philippians, and 
What's that? Second Timothy. Yeah, there was another one I had. Philemon and Philippians. Yeah, Second Timothy. So where this fits in historically is a little bit hard to pin down. There were a couple of, a few main imprisonments that Paul experienced that we find out about in the book of Acts and also in some of the other epistles he wrote. So he was imprisoned for a time in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, um, his last missionary journey in the late 50s. He uh, took a trip that covered, he revisited many of the churches that he had planted and, uh, and dealt with before, traveled through Tur- what is today Turkey and up into Macedonia and then back to Jerusalem. So during that visit to Ephesus, he spent, actually he spent the majority of his trip in Ephesus there and was uh, imprisoned for a while, it seems. We don't know much of the details about it. Um, he was also imprisoned when he got back to Jerusalem, he was imprisoned in Caesarea for a while before he was shipped to Rome, where he was again imprisoned. Um, So we don't really know during which one of those imprisonments Paul wrote it, but it seems to me, and this is speculation, it seems to me most likely that he was imprisoned in Ephesus when he wrote this because Colossae is so near Ephesus, and Paul is dealing with the founder of the church in Colossae, Epaphras, and what he told Paul about the church in Colossae. So this letter comes as a response to what Paul has heard about the church, the church which was founded by uh, another minister of Christ, Epaphras. Um, It seems most likely that the message to Paul would have been taken a shorter distance rather than a longer distance, but it's also possible that Epaphras visited Paul while he was in Rome. In any case, um, Paul's writing this letter while he's in prison. He can't visit the church, and in fact, it's likely that he's never visited the church, never been there, but he's writing to encourage them because they're facing some sort of a trial, or they, there's the risk that they'll be facing some sort of a trial. And part of our task in studying Colossians is to kind of figure out what that is, figure out what the challenges are that they're facing um, or, or might be facing. Um, Epaphras has come to Paul and is concerned, and Paul writes Colossians in response to that. Um, we don't know much about Colossae. It's never been excavated. It's one of, one of the cities in Turkey that hasn't been excavated. Um, so we just, we just sort of assume that it was like other cities. There were, uh, there were pagan religions present, but also probably a synagogue. The Jews were, uh, had synagogues all around the area. Um, but it sure seems like Paul is writing to non-Jews, people who didn't have a background in Judaism, who we're being um, told that, or might be told, that Judaism is, is sort of the completion of Christianity. You can be a Christian and believe in Jesus, but you also have to do certain things. Like, like in Galatians. Um, this is sort of the, the main theme of Galatians. Okay. Are there any questions at this point? Okay, let's take a look at the outline that I give you there on the first page of your handout. And this is to help you keep, in, keep the whole letter in view. So hopefully as we go along, we can sort of fill in the smaller sections here. But I, I divided the, the letter up into four main chunks. The first two verses are sort of the, the salutation that Paul gives at the beginning of every letter. And then the first chapter in a bit is Paul's introduction, which lays the foundation for the encouragement that he's going to give, the goal that he hopes to achieve and the argument that he wants to make. So... 
chapter 1, verse 3 to 2, verse 5 is this introduction. And then a turning point in the letter comes at number 3 there, uh, big Roman numeral 3. At chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus in the Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord, what he's just talked about, so walk in him. And that's sort of the turning point of the letter. So up till we get to that point, Paul is laying the foundation for, for walking in Christ or continuing to walk in Christ. And then Paul concludes uh, the fourth Roman numeral there with uh, us, his greetings from the brothers that, that he's with. So keep that big picture in mind. And we're going to dive in um, in some pretty close detail here. So let's begin. Um, does everybody have a Bible open to Colossians? What, uh, what page in, in the black Bibles is Colossians on? 1833. So let's start with verses 1 and 2. Um, would somebody please read those verses? Any volunteers? Just raise your hand. Carol, please. 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. All right. Thank you very much. Um, So this salutation, as I said, fits into the character of, of just a normal greeting, normal salutation that begins an epistle, a letter. Um, you begin with the name of the person who's writing the letter, Paul, and then you say to whom you're writing it, to the brothers in Colossae, and then you say hi, greetings, nice to see you. But you can see, though, that Paul fills in, um, he glosses it a bit. He adds some more information, which is not incidental. Now, when we read Paul's epistles, we, they all, the beginnings of the epistles sound pretty much the same one, from one to the next, um, and we tend to look, look past the detail that he's giving there. So let's spend a moment and ask the question, why does Paul say what he says here in this salutation? Why does he add what he adds? So the basic, greeting, basic salutation would be Paul to the brothers at Colossae, greetings. Right? So what does he add? First, to his name. Timothy. Yeah, okay, so good. He, so he's writing it with Timothy, a pastor that Paul met along the, on his second missionary journey. Uh, in Lystra, and a Gentile who's serving, um, uh, serving uh, along the way, and he's with Paul frequently here. So he adds Timothy, so Paul and Timothy. It's not just Paul writing by himself. What else does Paul add? He describes himself. Okay, How, so he describes himself, an apostle. All right, what does that mean? Maybe he hasn't met them yet. Okay, good. So Paul maybe hasn't met them yet. Why is it important that he identify himself as an apostle. What, first of all, what does an apostle mean? What, is a, what does it mean to be an apostle? Sent by God, sent by God. right. Uh, in other letters, Paul asserts adamantly the fact that he was sent by God. We heard this in Galatians this morning, right? Paul sent by God and not by man, not by the will of man, not through man. Um, and this is important for the, the church in Colossae, especially because Paul has never been there. They've been taught by another person. So who are they to believe what Paul says. Paul here says, you should believe what I say because I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So he was sent. His authority comes from Christ, which also means that his authority is valid for us today as well. It's not just for the church in Colossae. It's not just, it's not just for the churches that Paul 
planted. It's, it's for the church in Colossae. It's for the church throughout the world and throughout time. Paul is sent by Christ Jesus and through the will of God, by the will of God. And we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go along. We hear about the will of God later. But this is, uh, it's not, you know, oftentimes when we think about the will of God, we think the will of God for my life. What does God want me to do in my life? What, how does God want, what kind of decisions does God want me to make? Which is certainly part of God's will. But the main theme that comes out of Paul when he talks about the will of God is God's will towards humanity through Christ. God's disposition towards people, towards humans, sinful humans, on account of Christ. And his will is to save us, to bless us, and to love us. And so Paul here identifies the purpose for being an apostle. It's not, you know, it's not a cult of personality. It's not for his own gain. And he, he argues this regularly throughout those letters. It is to preach the gospel of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus. That's the will of God which prompts him to be an apostle, which prompts him to go and preach to the churches. So, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. And then, when he addresses the the church, the people to whom he's writing the letter, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So he adds an identification of the people to whom he's writing. Saints and faithful brothers. Holy and faithful brothers, I think it was, as you read, Carol. So they are brothers who are holy and faithful. Um, And once again, we tend to tend to speed past these things, but what does it mean that the brothers in Colossae are holy? Mike? Baptized, Baptized, right. Absolutely, yeah. Um, You beat me to the punchline there. Thank you. (laughs) So so holiness, um, we talk about this a lot around here, right? Holiness is not something, a characteristic which, uh, uh, it's not a virtue, something that we have in ourselves, some attribute of our character. It is something that is given to us uh, in baptism, and it makes us saints in in God's eyes. So that's the other element of what's going on here. Paul is addressing the people in Colossae and saying, I'm talking to you not as the world sees you, not as I see you as a fellow human, but as I see you through God's eyes, through Christ Jesus, on account of Christ. You are saints, right? And you are faithful, Um, so here that he is, he is uh, talking about the fact that they've, they've remained steadfast or they have held to the faith. They're trustworthy. They are consistent. And this is, this is something which is important for, for the people in Colossae and for the churches that Paul reaches. Uh, they are given a message, given the gospel, and the, the question really when Paul leaves is always, are they going to remain faithful to that? And there are all kinds of forces that come from outside that try to, and from within, that try to make them unfaithful to that. Paul here is saying, you have been faithful, which sets the tone for the message. They're saints and faithful brothers in Christ through baptism. The name Christ has been put on them. They've been baptized into Christ. And so he is addressing them in that way, in that light. Good. Okay. Any questions? <coughs> Yes, sir. Yeah. 
Good. Yes, absolutely, and we, we have we have much more to say about that. Um, so let's let's move down to that second half of verse two. This greeting, um, grace and peace to you, grace and peace, grace to you and peace, from God our Father. Um, I, if you've heard pastors, Lutheran pastors, preach in other places, you may have, oftentimes they begin a sermon. Uh, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. There's some variation of that. That's, that's common, um, and it comes from Paul. Uh, so the, the question here is, what does that really mean? Is it, I mean, is it just a nice sentiment? Is it just a platitude? So, so first of all, what is grace? I guess it might be the, the preached word. Okay. Okay, so the, I think I would say the preached word is about grace or delivers grace. But what is, what is the grace itself? Yes, Matt. Love. Absolutely. Undeserved love um, on account of Christ, through Christ. So that is, that is how God relates to us, by grace. Um, he loves us, though we don't deserve it. And here Paul is, um, he's not just wishing this upon the Colossians. He's not just saying, I hope that God gives you some grace. He's saying, grace to you. Um, this is something which, it, there's a subtlety in the way we do the liturgy. So I'm not ordained. And if I'm going to give a blessing at the end of the service, I say something like, may the grace of God be with you. Because I'm, I haven't been given the authority to speak on behalf of Christ in this way. But when the pastors do it, they say, the Lord bless you. It's not a subjunctive. It's not a, may he do this, or I I, I pray that he does this. It is, he's going to do this because I am his, I am his vicar. I am his, I'm standing in his place um, in this church. So Paul does that here. He says grace, and grace is, in the first place, the favor of God, the undeserved love of God, but it also trickles down into other parts of our life. So we talk about grace um, in many different ways. There's the grace of, of God which saves us from our sins, but also God gives us grace or blessing in innumerable ways through our lives. So that is, that's packed in here as well. You can see this. I, I included uh, the Collect for Grace from the Service of Matins there. Under big point three, little letter B, grace and peace. The Collect for Grace, it reads like this. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. So here's the prayer for grace. Defend us in the same through your mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings being ordered by your governance may be righteous in your sight. So that's, I mean, that's, those are the ways God blesses us with his grace. He defends us. He makes our deeds righteous. Um, and he keeps us, keeps us in the faith. So this is our prayer for grace. We do this frequently in the church. We pray that God would, would grant us his grace. How about peace? What is peace? How about this? What's the opposite of peace? Conflict. Okay, good. So now, if, if Paul is offering peace to the people from God our Father, what is he offering them? The restoration of our 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, by nature, we are not at peace with God. And, Paul, and when, when Paul offers them peace from God our Father, he's delivering to them that reconciliation from God. The relationship is restored, and Paul is here proclaiming that to them. The relationship is restored. And this, I mean, we've talked about this before uh, in the divine service as well. So, peace be with you and also with you. We are reconciled with one another. When the pastor says, the peace of Christ be with you always, holding the body and the blood, this is your reconciliation right here before your eyes. Um, It's not just, once again, it's not just a platitude. It's not just sort of sitting by the lake and feeling peaceful, right? It is the conflict which rules our world being being resolved. And we see this, I, I love this collect for peace from Vespers. So we pray for these things regularly in the church. This prayer goes... O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and that also, also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness through Jesus Christ. So on the first level, this peace is reconciliation with God, reconciliation with our brothers, and, but God also meets us in our, in our daily lives and offers us peace, and quietness as we live our lives here on earth. Okay. Any questions? Yes, sir? That's right, yeah. Yeah. That's right. So one of the, one of the most outstanding instances of that is after the, re- after the resurrection, Jesus meets with the disciples who are in the upper room terrified of the persecution, and he says, peace be with you, right? It's, it's utterly paradoxical, right? There is no peace. They are, the church is falling apart, right? They're, they're, they're what they, everything they thought was true is seeming to fall away from them, and Jesus comes in the room and says, peace be with you. And when Jesus says something, it happens, right? It's not just, not just a nice thought. All right. Good. Let us... Move on, then, to the next section. I think what we need to do here is have a whole bunch of verses at once, because this is a really long sentence, which it gets split up by commas and periods that translators have put in there. So, would somebody please read verses 3 through 8? Of, uh, let's see, of chapter 1. There we go. Sorry, yeah, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all your saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epiphan, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in this spirit. All right. Thank you, Bill. So now you can turn the page back. Um, 
So this is one long sentence. Paul says, we thank God when we pray for you because, since. All right? So he's, he's going to list the reasons why he thanks God. But first of all, um, Paul begins by telling the, the Christians in Colossae that he is praying for them. And I think that so there's a little bit of ambiguity about how this should be translated. Later we, find, we hear Paul say, we pray for you without ceasing. And this is what he's meaning here. He says, he says we, praying for you constantly, when we pray for you, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, this sets, once again, the stage for what's going to come. Paul is thanking God, or telling the Colossians that he thanks God for what has been given to them because he is going to ask God for more, for something else. So he starts by saying, this is what has been given to you. This is what I thank God for. And we're going we're to move on from there to what we should ask for God, ask from God. But first of all, let's take a look at what he says there. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this, Don, you mentioned this when Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. There are, there's two things at play here. First of all, um, God is Father in that he created the world. He um, makes all things. He makes us humans. Um, Adam and Eve were his offspring. Um, but more specifically, when, when we hear that God is the Father also of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus instructs us to pray, Our Father along with him. It, it becomes clear that God's fatherhood, which, which is significant for us as Christians, is the fatherhood uh, which makes us heirs of eternal life, heirs along with Christ, brothers and sisters of Christ. And so that's, what, that's the way Paul is identifying the Colossians here. We're thanking God, who is your father through Christ, who is your father not just as creator, but the father who has made you brothers and sisters with Christ. And he prays for them always. Um, which is, I give you the quotation here from N.T. Wright, number four, letter A, what is worked for must first be prayed for. It's a fantastic introduction to what Paul is doing here. He doesn't just jump in and start giving advice. He doesn't just jump in and start teaching even, or teaching, you know, remember this, this thing and this thing and this thing about Jesus. He says, I pray. First, I pray. What is worked for must first be prayed for. And that's what Paul is Paul's communicating here. Any questions? Feel free to raise your hand at any time if you have questions. Yes, sir. There's a lot of affirmation for the Colossians from Paul in this introduction. Yeah. Right, which stands in contrast. Maybe you remember from the epistle that we heard this morning, epistle to the Galatians. Paul says, um, says a very similar thing, Paul and apostles, so forth and so forth. And then he doesn't say, we thank God. He says, I am astonished that you've so quickly turned away. Right? He, he goes after the Galatians right away. Here, and in many of his other letters, he begins by affirming what has been given to them. That's why, that's why this, this is a letter of encouragement, and a letter of consolation. Bruce. Sure. It puts Jesus' name first, but right after he talks about praying because of their faith in Christ 
is emphasizing the divinity of Christ. Sure. So he covers in one opening, he ties the humanity of the people he's talking to to Christ's humanity and then their faith in his divinity. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it is important for us to remember that Paul doesn't do any of these things incidentally. He's, he's crafting these letters. So that's a great observation. Good. Let's take a, look at verse, take a look at verse 4 here. This is why he thanks God. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, verse 5a, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So the main ideas here are the faith and love of the Colossians, which came as a, as a result of the hope that they have laid up in heaven. Um, faith, love, and hope. Does anything sound odd about that? There you go. Okay, First Corinthians 13. I'm, that was a leading question. Um, faith, hope, and love. Three, the, these three things, and the greatest of these is love, right? Um, Paul here puts it in a different order. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for the saints, which comes as a result of hope. So Paul's showing that the faith and love that the, the Christians in Colossae demonstrate, faith in Christ and love for their neighbors, springs up because of the hope that was preached to them, the hope that is in heaven. It's this hope that we have for peace and eternal life in Christ and salvation. This hope is what prompts us to believe in Christ and to love our neighbors. And, and I give you another collect here, the post-communion collect. We hear this every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, and this is a fantastic prayer for uh, any time you wonder what you need to pray for. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another through Jesus Christ. So Paul is, uh, you know, these two things are the things that we're chiefly concerned about, right? What is the greatest commandment? You shall uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things that we need. Mike. I don't, know, I don't know what the, the Greek is, but the hope hope always seems like a weaker word than something like, you might say, like confidence or sure. assurity or something like that. Hope, hope always leaves yeah. this like, sense of doubt in the speaker or the hearer. Yeah. I think, that that, I think it's a problem with English, okay. really. Uh, I mean, hope, is, hope in the way that it's used in the New Testament is not something that is, uh, is uncertain, right? Okay. It is something that is confident, um, there's no doubt about it. It's unseen, though, right? It's, it requires faith to believe, uh, to, to trust in that hope. It's not, and that's why, that's why it, it's, it's not knowledge or, um, you know, that's why the word confidence isn't used in this sense. Go ahead and done. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Praying for faith. Praying for faith. It's some, yeah. Um, faith, it, faith as tiny as a mustard seed saves, but faith is something that grows. And so we pray for, we pray for faith. And that's what we receive when God blesses us um, in the Lord's Supper. So th- that's why, I mean, this prayer is, is a fantastic prayer, the post-communion collect. Um, if you ever wonder why you're going to the Lord's Supper, this is, this is why. 
This gives you the answer here. So that my faith in Christ would be increased and my love towards my neighbors. And then you leave the table knowing that that has taken place, right? Even if you can't see it, even if you can't, even if you don't feel it. God blesses you that way. All right. Let's see here. Um, love for, that you have for all the saints is, is kind of an interesting notion. And this we hear about later is what Epaphras preached, told, told to Paul. He came to Paul and said, um, these people love all the saints. They, they are showing love for all kinds of people. And it's interesting because it's really an unnatural thing. We tend to show love to people with whom we have a certain affinity, thing, people we have something in common with, not people who um, you know, belong to a different category or people who we disagree with about other things. But here Paul is saying that they have love for all the saints, not just, not just the saints that they live with in Colossae, but all the saints everywhere, Jews and Gentiles. James? Would this have had anything to do with the collection he was taking up with the that may be, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a good, a good point. Um, that's one way that the churches demonstrated their love for all the saints was by sending their support to Jerusalem, um, on the, on what, and which was sent with Paul on his journeys. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's like Satan is working against the love of God which passes all understanding, which should be shown in all of our lives toward each other. Right. And and this this love which um, Paul is describing here, this this sort of unnatural love, this love that comes from Christ, uh, this is how the world knows that we are Christians. John thirteen. Um, they will by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love in spite of each other. This is what identifies us as Christians. This is what we pray for. And this is what Paul has commended to the people in Colossae. All right. The sentence continues here. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which hope you have indeed, which hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So here Paul is calling to mind what they heard from Epaphras. Remember, you heard this message, the gospel, the word of truth, the gospel about Christ Jesus, the power of God for salvation to all who believe through Christ Jesus. Remember, you heard that, and that was your source of hope. This is the, the theme that runs through Paul's letters where he is encouraging people. He's, you know, he's, he's at a distance. He can't help them on a day-to-day basis, and so he has to call to mind what they received. Remember what you heard. Remember the gospel. Hold to fast to that. That's why the, Paul's, letters to Galatia, Paul's letter to Galatians, he begins the way he does. I'm astonished that you're turning so quickly from the gospel that we preach to you to another gospel, which you know, is no gospel at all. Um, so remember this. And he says this again. Remember the word of truth. You heard this in the word of truth, the gospel, um, which has come to you just like it is, has come to the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing. Bearing fruit and increasing. Um, does that ring any bells? Sound familiar? Bearing fruit and increasing. Um, maybe it's not as obvious. Genesis. Yeah. 
God instructs Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, right? Um, so here, the gospel, the gift of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel is the gift of a new creation, which increases and multiplies. It bears fruit and increases. Um, and it is doing this throughout the world as well as among the Colossians, which is demonstrated through their faith and love. So their faith and their love are the marks of God's grace, the marks of God's peace among them. That's how Paul knows that God has worked among them. It was at the time um, of the early church in, in Acts that the, the apostles would look for um, spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy as marks of God's work, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as the need for those sort of dramatic displays of God's work diminished, the signs of peace and love, you know, loving your neighbor and having confidence in Christ's grace, these were the signs that the Holy Spirit was given to you in baptism. And these are bearing fruit and increasing among the Colossians. Um, and this, as it, as it does also among you, this you, um, it's kind of a trivial note, but it's not just, a, not just one you, it's not just you, Mike, it's growing among you, but it's growing among all of you as a community. And this is one of the things that um, is so great about St. John. I can say this having, just because I'm here for a short while, you guys are great at demonstrating this, right? Growing as a community, loving each other, um, not just individually, not just coming to church for your own sake, but coming to church for each other. And this is what Paul is identifying here as, as a sign of the peace and grace that the Colossians have. All right, I'm spending too much time talking about this, so let's move on. Since <laughs> I'm only supposed to cover a fifth of what I set out to cover, right? Okay. I should have covered that up. <laughs> since, okay. The end of verse 6. Since the day you heard it. Okay, so the, it's bearing fruit and increasing since the very day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Um, Paul here shifts to, identi- to, to lay out more clearly how the Colossians received this gift. And this is really important um, for us to, to keep in mind. It wasn't just that they had some sort of an emotional experience when Epaphras preached to them. But they heard the word of truth and they understood it. There is, there is an element of understanding to our faith. And that understanding is specifically that God loves you in, in, in that he sent his son to die for you. And this, is the, this was the turning point in the lives of the Colossians. When they heard this message and they understood the grace of God the grace of Jesus, um, which is God's disposition towards them as love. Faith comes by hearing the gospel. Um, So Paul continues then, verse 7, they learned it. Once again, they became disciples of it. It was something they understood from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, um, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Paul is commending the preaching of Epaphras. And this is all tying together really sort of intricately. Um, you can imagine the situation. The people in Colossae had heard, Paul, uh, heard Epaphras preaching, and Epaphras had learned it from someone else. 
maybe from Paul. Um, and since Epaphras was an heir, an inheritor of this teaching, there may have been some doubt as to his authority. He goes to Paul, who is the authority. Paul asserts his authority. I'm an apostle. And Paul then commends Epaphras to them. He is a fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. He is a, he is a deacon of Christ on your behalf. He stands in the place of Christ for you. Listen to what he's saying. That's, that's, Paul is commending the teaching of Epaphras, once again reminding them, you heard this word of truth from Epaphras, remember it. Remember what he said to you. Um, and he, then verse 8, Epaphras made known their love to Paul. So, to, to tie all this together, this introduction here, this, this thanksgiving that Paul is offering, is based on what Epaphras has told him. These people in Colossae love Christ, they love their neighbors, they love the church, they love the saints, and this is a great thing. Paul thanks God for that. Um, Paul thanks God for the work that he's already done among the Colossians. And so, because he's seen that work already done, or heard of that work already done, Paul goes on then to say what he's praying for, beginning in verse 9. Because I've heard that work is being done among you, we have not ceased to pray for you. I'm going to speed. Oh, man. Okay. Um, are there any questions? <laughs> George. Yes, sir. It seems that way. Yeah. Later he's in prison with... Yeah, it seems like he's from Colossae. We're not really sure about it. Later we hear um, that he's in prison with Paul when Paul writes to Philemon. Um, but we don't know much about him. Yeah, so he's kind of a, an enigma. Anything else? I, it's, you know, we should probably go. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.